Monday ending next Sunday. Amen. Let's pray real quick and ask God just to just speak to us this morning and ask him uh, just to reveal some things to us that we need to hear. Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for your many, many blessings. We say that you are a good God. You're a faithful God despite what is going around us. Father, you still have a unique specific word for us. You want to show us how much you love us, Father, and how much you care, God. So, Father, we just say that we're willing to hear from you today. We're willing to put aside any preconceived ideas, Father, any, and uh, God, anything that has been on our heart, Father, we ask that you would take that, that you would cover that so that we can hear your voice more clearly, God. We just say that you are welcome in this place, God, and we ask that you would move in our hearts this morning. We pray these things and ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus, and everyone says amen. So last week we started a new series called Running the Race, and at the beginning of the sermon we spent a lot of time talking about passion, how we are created to be passionate about different things, and we went through several things that we can be passionate about but ultimately, the thing we should be most passionate about is Jesus. If, if we're passionate about our jobs and our kids, and yeah, we may be passionate about Jesus, but if he is not the thing that preoccupies our thought life every day, then we're missing the point. And we took a simple test to find out what, we, what we're most passionate about. And, and, and this was the test. What have, you, what have you been thinking about most last week? Not even last week, this morning. What have you been thinking about most this morning? That is what you're most passionate about. And we talked about how some of us are more passionate about our problems than the one who can fix our problems. So what you think about will reveal what you're passionate about. Because what you think about is what you talk about. What you talk about is what you act on. And ultimately what you act out most is what you are most passionate about. And so I was... was, um, struggling with something. I mentioned this uh, the last couple weeks, and I just, I couldn't shake it. I was just thinking, man, God, I wish the situation was differently. I wish, just whatever. We were, I was just thinking about where we were as a church, where I was personal. I'm like, God, I wish this was different, this and that. And I heard the Lord say in my spirit, run. I was like, run? He said, run. You need to run out of that space in your mind where you have pitched a tent and you're camping at. He said, you can't change anything. You can't Change the past, so why, so why are you thinking about it? And in this current situation, you can't change anything. But what you can do is continue to run and trust me and believe that I have a specific plan for your life. And so the verse that came to mind was Hebrews 12, verse 1. I'm going to read it this morning again. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and what? Let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us. I'm going to read the New Living Translation. I like how it says, uh, it translates this verse. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, people who have come before us, people who are around us, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has for us. You see, we're in this race called the Christian life. And it is not a sprint. I know that I, I remember one time when I just thought about this. I remember when I was a kid, um, 15, 16 years old, 17 years old, and I was praying a lot. I was going to the church and just praying. And I worked, I, it's funny, kinda, but I kind of worked myself up in a frenzy. And I remember praying, God, just take me away from here. Like, I just want to be with you. I'm tired of dealing with this, dealing with that. How many of y'all have been there before? God, I wish you could just... What's uh, beam me up, Scotty? There's no form of life, right? Star Trek, 
I'm not uh, old enough to remember that line. I was just, that was passed down to me. But um, how many of y'all felt that way? And I remember the Lord just in that moment said, I'm enough for you. You can walk through this. And so in 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 that season, I had to realize that my walk with the Lord was not a sprint. It's a marathon. And I have to learn to run well. And, and a couple of the things that this passage talks about is stripping off or letting go of sin and weights. And sin is, are things that God specifically says, hey, you shouldn't be engaging in. Um, things that are against his word. And then there are these things called weights. Weight doesn't necessarily have to be sin. It can be sin, but it's anything that gets in our way from causing us to run well. And I, and I gave this analogy last week about golfing. And I said, how many of you have golfed? I know when I was golfing, you know, you spend five, six hours out there sometimes. And I remember after not playing for a while, going back to play, and after nine holes, I was done. Which, if you know me and know how much I played, like, that thought never entered my mind. Like, never entered my mind. Like, I would play it, want to play another 18 holes. And I realized in that moment that even though golf is fun, if I commit so much time to it, then it really becomes a weight because God wants to do something else with that time that I'm giving to golf. You see how that can become a weight? Some of us like physical fitness. Nothing wrong. I think everybody should take care of the body. But it can become a weight if you're focused more on your physical appearance than maybe your family at home, maybe your spiritual life. Maybe instead of, maybe instead of praying in the morning, you get up and do that extra workout. For what reason? You're already healthy, right? I'm not, saying there's no, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but there are weights in our life that we need to say, Lord, you know what? This isn't inherently a bad thing, but it is a weight that is slowing me down from running the race that you have planned for me. So I'm just going to ask a question. What weights and sins do you need to surrender? Do I need to surrender so we can passionately run the race that God has for us? And I don't think we have to go much further. There are some things that the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now. How many of y'all can be honest and say, yeah, the Lord just highlighted something that, that maybe not as sin, but it is a weight. And it's, and it's keeping me from going deeper. That's what this series is about. So last week we, we introduced it. This week I want to talk about surrendering expectations. I think it's awesome that Kaylee shared that. But today we're talking about surrendering expectations. Now, I want to give the definition of expectation, and it's this. An ex- expectation is a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. A strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future, or a belief that someone will or should achieve something. So it's this belief, it's these beliefs that we build up that something, we want something to happen in the future. We want a certain situation to play out. Are, we, are you on the same page? We have these expectations. And if, whether you know it or not, every morning you wake up with a set of expectations, Right? You have an expectation about how your morning is going to go, how your lunch is going to go. Maybe you have lunch planned with somebody. You, ha- you, ex- you have an expectation about how that conversation is going to go, uh, how, thing- how it's going to go with your kids. Maybe your, kid, your, your child had a rough week last week and you helped them through some things and you're expecting them to have a better week, right? We all wake up with a list of expectations. We also have a list of expectations on how people would treat us, right? Right? We all do. Nobody expects to walk into work in the morning and your boss already just laying the hammer on you, right? We know, nobody expects that. Guess what? You wake up with those expectations, the people around you wake up with the same expectations for you. So why, so we have to understand that if, if we're expecting those things from them, we have to give that same thing back to them. That's why the word says, learn to walk with understanding with one another because 
How many of y'all know that maybe somebody got on your nerves or they said something to you and later on you found out, oh man, they're just having like a rough weekend. Maybe something happened with a family member. Maybe they, they lost their job or something, right? We have these expectations. Anybody been in a situation where uh, you expected um, maybe something really big, maybe you had a trip planned and you expected it to turn out one way and it didn't turn out that way? That's the worst. I remember I, w- I went on a big trip several years ago and the last, um, the last time I went on a big trip like that, it was great. So I was expecting it to be like even better. And because of some of the people that were on this trip, it just ended up being a horrible trip. And I thought, man, we just, I just spent all this money to go on this trip and it's just horrible, right? So we have these expectations. We all, and we're, gonna, we're going to learn this morning that if we're going to learn to walk with the Lord, we have to surrender our expectations to him. We also have expectations even from the moment we're born. How many of y'all have children, maybe babies who can't even talk, but they already have expectations for you? When they're hungry, what do they do? They cry. When they, they need their diaper change, what do they do? They cry. They want to be, and then when they want to be held, what do they do? Cry. So there's expectations. And then as you get older, and if you're, so if, you're, if they're hungry, um, if they're hungry, they cry, and so they expect you to feed them. As a child, that doesn't change, right? As a child and adolescent, right? Anybody have teenagers, um, kids that are in, in, in elementary? When they're hungry, what do they say? Mom, I'm hungry. Feed me. I want this. I want that. They have, uh, uh, children have expectations to maybe, they, how many of y'all have kids who want cell phones and you're not quite ready to ha- let them have a cell phone, but they want a cell phone, right? Yeah, we have a few families. Ki- even kids have expectations. Um, and if, if um, us that grew up when we were kids, if we had good parents, we had expectations that if we, if we misbehaved, we expected discipline, right? That was an expectation. As a young adult and an adult, we still have expectations. If we're hungry, what do we do? We go to mom's house. <laughs> I don't think that expectation ever goes away. I think it doesn't matter how old you are, you still can go to mom's house and get something to eat. Right, mom? Right? Okay, good. I'll be, I'll be visiting for a lot longer. But our expectations become more long-term. Once you're out of high school, you, you want to go to school. Once you go, get out of school, you look at beginning your careers. You have expectations on how that's going to pan out. We have expectations, y'all, us of us that, are, us that are single, we have expectations to be married, have kids. Uh, we have expectations where we're going to live. We have all these things all throughout our life. We have expectations of how our life is going to turn out. Is that clear? We have these things. Now, I want to ask a question. Is there a problem with having expectations? Is there a problem? It depends. We only set expectations for things that are going to make us happy, right? I don't think anybody expects to have a bad life. Nobody expects to lose their job in the, in, in the middle of their life, in the middle of their career. Nobody expects to have a bad life. Um, and we, and I, I'll, I'll throw this in there. The reason we don't expect bad things and only expect good things is because we're created in God's image. You ever wonder where that came from? How come we expect this? It's because we're created in his image. Evolution can't, can't uh, explain that. A, a world without God can't explain that. We are created in his image. That's why we expect. So I want, I want you to imagine with me. Imagine that, and we all, we, all of us have things we're expecting to unfold in our life right now. I want you to imagine that you're, you're looking in the future and you're looking at something that you believe will give you joy. 
maybe a promotion, it may be a new car. Just imagine, you're looking in the future like, hey, I'm looking forward to that, I'm expecting that to happen because I believe that will give me joy. I want you to look, even you can close your eyes in your mind's eye or whatever and look at it. I want you to look at it and I want you to see if Jesus is standing next to it. Meaning, is Jesus influencing that expectation? Because if Jesus is not standing next to that thing that you believe will give you joy, you're kidding yourself that you're going to have joy. The reason that is true is because God is the owner of joy. I heard somebody say a long time ago, he said, you can, you can choose what you want to do. You can choose anything you want to do in life, but you cannot pick the outcome of that choice. You may walk in, you may walk a certain way. You may choose to walk in sin and believe that that's going to give you joy. The word of God is clear that that will not give you peace and joy. And uh, those of us who have walked in sin, walked in disobedience, know that's the truth. You can pick, you can say, I'm going to do whatever I want, but you can't pick the outcome. And so we have, we base our expectations on what we believe will make us happy and give us joy. But if Jesus is not standing next to that thing, if Jesus has not influenced that expectation, you can may have joy for a season, for a moment, but it will not last. We have to set, the only time there is a problem with us developing expectations is when we make them without God. That is the only time. 1 John 5 verse 14 says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, to God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask Jesus for something that is in line, in alignment with his will, he hears us. Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us in the things that we're asking, we know that we can have those things that we have asked of him. How many of y'all want to walk in that confidence that when you ask the Lord for something, he'll give it to you. This is the word. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says we can ask things that are according to his will and he hears us. Now the key is, is it according to his will? Just from living the, the amount of time I've lived, I have learned that his plans for me are always better than my plans. Always, always, always. I was talking with uh, some people the other day and I was talking about how I was married and this was the truth. I believed that I saw somebody that I believe was perfect for me but the problem was it was in my own ability. Like this person, honestly, the person I saw in front of me, the person I married, not that they're a bad person, they just weren't for me. The person that I married I, was the best of my own ability, of my own expectation, of my own desire. It was the best, right? It was the best I could produce. You understand that? The best I could produce gave me the most grief. Expectations without God will never produce joy. It may produce happiness. Happiness is a feeling, but joy is a state of being. It's a state of mind. James 4 verse 1, it says, he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. He said, what causes these arguments you have with your brothers and sisters, your coworkers, family members? Is it not the things working inside of you? Verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He said, you, you want something in somebody else, and because you can't have it, you're fighting, and you're fighting with them. You do not have because you do not ask. He says, you don't have things because you don't ask me. And then he says, but you ask me and you don't receive them. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. 
In other words, you ask to spend it on your own expectations. I ask you another question, a lot of questions this morning. How do you respond when God's plan doesn't unfold the way you want? See, this is the issue that many of us have. Walking with the Lord, whether you're brand new or been walking with the Lord for a long time. When you're expecting something to happen in your timeline or God's timeline doesn't match up with yours. I said this last week, but how many of us have aborted dreams and, and blessings in our life because we stopped waiting on the Lord? Imagine again with me. Let's just say you just, let's say we all just got saved this morning. And a representative from heaven or maybe Jesus himself comes and talks to you and says, man, I'm so thankful that, that you're part of my family. Let's say it's Jesus. I'm so thankful you're part of my family. I love you so much. And I know you love me. And he says, John, I have a great plan for your life. It's the best plan. Like, there's nothing better. Nothing better that you could give yourself. Nothing better that your family could give, give you. I have the best plan for your life. And it's a good one. And you're going to enjoy it, as it when it gets here. But the thing is, you're going to have to go through some things. And honestly, what you are expecting to happen isn't going to happen for several months, several years, maybe 10, 15 years. And actually, you're going to have to go through some things so that you can be refined, so that I can test you. So that way, when that blessing comes along, you're going to be able to steward it well and hold on to it. You ready? See, that's actually what happens. That's actually the truth. And I talked about this last week about trusting our kids. You can't trust a five-year-old to drive a car. Everyone ages physically. Everyone. We can't stop that. Some of us have tried. We can't stop that. Not everyone ages spiritually. So there are some people in here, maybe, who have been living, giving their life to the Lord 10, 15 years ago, but still a toddler. And God's saying, man, I love you so much, and I want to give that thing to you. But if I gave it to you, you would probably hurt yourself or maybe kill yourself. This is the truth. God has a plan for our life. But we have to learn to surrender to his timeline and say, God, I have an expectation, but I'm trusting that your plan is perfect. We have to ask ourselves, am I fully committed to God's plan for my life even though it's not turning out the way I expected. I could say that a lot of times. Am I, fully, uh, am I fully committed to God's plan for my life, even though it's not turning out the way I expected? I want to read in 1 Samuel 16, if you want to turn in your Bible there. I want to look briefly at King David. King David is a perfect example of a, of a man. He was actually a kid when he started out, a kid that had to wait. One of my favorite characters in the Bible. This is a man who God said, even though despite his shortcomings, and he had a lot, he was still, a consider, still considered a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 16. I want, to read, I want to read the story of when he was anointed by Samuel to be king. 1 Samuel 16, verse, starting with verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. The Lord comes to Samuel and says, hey, I know you anointed Saul. I know what I told you, but uh, he doesn't trust me. 
He doesn't trust me to lead him. He is not committed to my timeline for him. So I want you to go find another, another uh, son of Israel, and I'm going to anoint him, and he will do everything I'm asking him to do. Verse 2, but Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he'll, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. So he's using the sacrifice as a front for what he's really trying to do. He's trying to find one of Jesse's sons to anoint as king. Verse 6, when Jesse's sons arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Samuel saw his eldest come and he looked at him and said, yeah, he looks like a king. He looks kingly. I could, he has some characters like the way he greeted me. I, I believe he could rule, rule Israel. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see, the way, see things the way you see them. We've got to remember this. The Lord doesn't see things the way that we see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord take, looks at the heart. You see, Samuel had an expectation of what the king was going to look like. He, tall, burly, strong, smart, good-looking. Somebody who, look, who looked the part of a king. And God said, hey, man looks, on, looks at what's going on around them, but the Lord looks at the heart. I can even say it this way. Man looks at, looks at the, the left turn or the right turn that you weren't expecting in your life. Maybe the Lord has spoken something to you that, that maybe there's a blessing that the Lord has spoken to you. And, and something happens that looks completely contradictory to what the Lord spoke to you. At that moment, you have to say, God, I don't understand what's happening, but I'm trusting that this is going to lead to where you're at. You're told me that you would take me. He said, the Lord, the Lord doesn't see, the way, see things the way that you see them. We have to begin to see things the way that God sees them, church. Verse 18, verse 8. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab, step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not him. Verse 9. Next, Je Jesse summoned Shimei. Shemaiah, but Saul said, Samuel said, neither is, the one, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all of Jesse's seven sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel said, are all these the sons you have? And Jesse said, there's still one more, David. He's the youngest, but I didn't invite him because honestly, I didn't expect him to be king. You see, even Jesse, his father, had his own set of expectations. You're beginning to see how we need to surrender expectations to the Lord. Samuel said, send for him at once. We will not sit down until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. It says he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers... So as David stood, stood among his brothers, the youngest, the youngest, the least expected, stood among his brothers, stood among those, those people who said, hey, it's not going to work out. You'll never be anything. The Lord is wanting to, mm. 
As David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. You see, David was the youngest. He was about 15 years old when he was anointed. Was not expected to to do anything but to tend to sheep. Shepherds back in that day were um, considered, um, how do I put it? They were the least respected as far as trades went. But it's in the shepherd's field that God taught David to be king. Now, according to our expectations, if David got anointed to be king in 1 Samuel 16, you would think that maybe the next chapter or two, he would, be, he would actually take the throne. Because at this point, God was already tired of Saul being king. But in contrast, instead of David becoming king the next chapter, David faces his biggest challenge yet, Goliath. This is why, church, we don't set our expectations on just what we see and what we feel, but we trust that he has a plan. In, verse, in chapter 17, David faced Goliath, defeated him. The next chapter, chapter 18, Saul becomes jealous of David and begins to scheme ways to take him out. Verse 19, Saul try, chapter 19, Saul tries to kill David. Chapter 20, Jonathan warns David. Chapter 21, David flees Saul and begins to live a life of, of refuge away from Saul, running away. In chapter 22, David has to live in a cave. Imagine being anointed king to be king of Israel and you're believing that you're gonna be king, but then you have, you have to leave the country that you're supposed to become king of and you're hiding in a cave. Chapter 23, Saul pursues David. Chapter 24, David spares Saul's life. Imagine this, David had the opportunity to kill Saul, but said, I'm not gonna shortcut the process because I'm trusting God to promote me. We have to learn to to trust God to promote us. Chapter 26, David spares Saul again. Chapter 27, David David flees to the Philistines. Chapter 29, the Philistines reject David. The people that took him in ended up rejecting him. Imagine David already several years down the line after being anointed said, God, I know you anointed me a long time ago when I was 15, but I just, there's nothing that has happened that has that has proved to me, proven to me that I'm supposed to be king. Do you have anybody in that place here this morning? God, I know you spoke to me, but my life looks nothing like what you told me it would look like. We've all been there. And if we're honest, all of us are in our, in, in our lives in specific areas, we're in that place. God, I don't know what you're doing. It doesn't make any sense. So we have to make a decision. Am I committed to God's plan for my life or am I going to go my own way? It took, it, it, it took 17 chapters later for David to finally be anointed king of Judah. 17 chapters later, 15 years later. How many of y'all think that if David had been told when he was anointed, hey, you're going to be king of Israel, but you're going to have to face a giant. You're going to be chased out of the country by the current king, and there are going to be a handful of times that it's going to feel like Saul's about to kill you, like he's right there. He's literally at the door. How many of y'all believe David would have still said, hey, I'll still follow you? Maybe, but how many of us would have said, hey, I'll follow you? It's a hard thing. I don't know. I hope I would say yes. And actually, I think that's why God doesn't tell us 
how we're going to get there because I think he knows that many of us couldn't, couldn't handle it. Consider this, and I said, mentioned this earlier. David spared Saul's life twice. In the world's eyes, they would say, David, this is your opportunity. God allowed Saul one time to come into a cave where David, David was hiding. And the world would say, look, look, David, God brought Saul to you to this cave in the middle of the desert so that you could kill him. Anybody been in that situation where like the door has flung wide open, it seems like the benefits are there, the pay is there, the situation's there, but in your spirit you know that's not what God has for you? I've been there. It, was, it looked like it was a perfect scenario, but in my spirit God said, hey, I know it looks good and it looks like me, but it's not me. Are you still willing to trust for me to bring you the perfect perfect plan for your life. David was doing everything right and still being persecuted. Still being persecuted. He was disappointed month after month, year after year. And I believe that at some point, David had to have a come to Jesus, come to Jesus meeting with Jesus. And say, God, I had to, I had to be there. I had, I had to get there. I was similar to this. And, I, and I've shared this many times after I got divorced when I was 22, I really tried to move out of Odessa. I'm like, God, I just, I just want to go experience life. And for eight years, I tried to leave. And, and God said, oh, that's cute. I'm like, you're not going anywhere. It took me about five years for me to stop fighting God and say, God, you have a plan for my life. I don't know what it looks like. This is not how I expected my life to unfold at all expected to be married, to have kids, to be in ministry at a, in, a, in certain ways, and it's just not playing out the way you want, but I trust you. See, we all have to come to places in our life where, hey, we may be upset. Honestly, there may be some people in here who are angry with God because your life has not turned out the way you want. You, like David, have to have a come to Jesus meeting with God and say, God, I am angry but I trust you. I don't understand why this is happening or why this is continuing to happen, but I trust that you have a perfect plan for my life. I'm still upset and we're gonna work through that. We're gonna talk through these things, but I'm willing to trust you. During this season, David wrote some of these Psalms, Psalms 27 verses 13 and 14. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He said, I know what God has spoken to me and I believe I will see it. And then he encourages his readers, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 37 verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land of your friend faithfulness. He said, befriend faithfulness even though it's not turning out the way you want. Continue to be faithful to the Lord. Look at this, verse four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your hearts. This is a promise that David uh, was, was standing on. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He will act. Verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And then he says something interesting. Fret not yourself. He said, don't be worried about the one who prospers in his way. The person who is, who is not living their life the way they should, that, that, the, that the way that God has asked them to live. Don't look at them and, and, and fret and, and worry. Man, they're getting, they're getting to the, they're, they're receiving the blessing or they're getting to where they want to go and I'm not. He said, don't look at him. Don't compare yourself to him. 
over the man who carries out evil devices. He says, trust in the Lord and do good. Commit your way to him. See, David had to encourage himself in the Lord. And if we're going to stay on that path that God has for us, despite what's happening, despite our expectations not panning out, we have to encourage ourselves in the Lord. I'm going to ask you again, are you willing to let go of your expectations and wait for God's plan to unfold in your life? It's a hard thing. It can be a very hard thing because the trials and the tribulations and the things we go through, they're real. They're real. We've been through some hard things and it was, God, why is this happening to me? I don't understand. And maybe I'll never understand. But Father, I trust you that you have a plan. So what do we do with our expectation? We turn it into expect, expectancy. To expect that God will prove himself that he is who he says he is. That he will show up at the right time. We say, God, these are my expectations and I'm giving them to you and I'm expecting you to move when you say it's time. When you have conquered all of my enemies and I can walk in without even having to fight and lift up a sword one time. I was at a Bethel conference one time and they said something that really shook me because this was during that season. They said, they said, if it's not good, it's not over. Keep walking. If it's not good, it's not over. If it doesn't look like what God said it was supposed to look like, it's not over. Keep going. Keep going. If it's not good, it's not over. I want to invite you to stand. I want to read a few more verses. And these are verses I would hope that you could remember, write down. These are verses that I have uh, memorized. And verses that so many times when things are not uh, turning out the way that I've expected, I've said, God, I don't know what you're doing in this moment, but I believe it's good. And I believe it's preparing me to receive that blessing or that promise that you've given me. Micah 7 verse 7, listen carefully. It says, but as for me, he says, as for me, everyone else may be doing something different, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Your family will be telling you, hey, why are you living for the Lord? Why are you doing this, doing that? You need to take things into matters into your own hand. You say, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for him. And then he says in verse 8, I love this. He, 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 he talks to his enemy. He talks, and not just to a person. He may be talking to depression, to loneliness. He says, rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Psalm 39, verse 7 says, and now, O Lord, for what do I wait? He said, what am I putting my expectation in? My hope is in you. He said, my hope is not in something that's coming down the road. My hope is in you who is present with me right now. He owns joy. He owns peace. And when you develop a relationship with him, you have full access to that right now. And then Isaiah 25, verse 9, it says, it will be said on that day. This is what we're expecting. We'll be able to say this one day. We'll be able to say, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. If you hope in the Lord and you set your expectation on him and expect
to show up in your life. You will be able to say one day, God, this, we waited for this moment. We didn't put our hope in our own ability. We didn't put our hope in our own intellect and wisdom. We put our hope in him. And he has shown up and saved the day. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. I want you just to bow your, your heads and close your eyes. I believe that this is a message for all of us. I believe that many of us have seen the Lord move in a mighty way in our lives. But we have found ourselves in a situation where they're voluntarily or involuntarily. And we say, God, I know you can show up, but I'm having a hard time right now understanding or standing strong in the promises that you have for my life. If that's you, I want you just to raise your hand. I don't understand. I believe, but I'm having a hard time. I'm struggling. Raise it high. I'm here this morning to remind you that God sees you. And whether you understand it or not, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. It may seem like you're at a setback, you're at a standstill, but God say, nope, you're in that place because I'm training you, I'm refining you, I'm teaching you to, to inherit the promised land that I have for you. Don't move, stand firm, trust in me, wait for me, be strong and let your heart take courage. You will look on the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. God is good, church, and he has a plan for your life. He's strong enough to defeat every enemy that may come your way. The only person who can get in the way of you inheriting the place that God has for you is you. He will defeat every enemy, every giant, every lion, every bear, every army that comes in your way, he will defeat. But he will not take control of your life unless you give it to him. So this morning, I want you just to say, Lord, I surrender my expectations to you. I need you. I can't do it on my own. My wisdom is not enough. I rely on you. And in a second, I'm going to ask you all that have raised your hands to come down. But I want to pray a prayer. Maybe this is your first time coming to church. Maybe you haven't been to church in a while, while and you need to recommit your life to the Lord. If that's you, I want you just to raise your hand. And say, say I'm here. God, I need you. I'm tired of walking in my own expectations and getting my own results. If that's you, I want you to just raise your hand. And if you could repeat this prayer after me in church, if you could repeat it with us, just say, Dear Jesus, thank you for reminding me or showing me that you love me, that you have a plan for my life. Dear Jesus, I confess my sins. Every evil thing that I've said that I've done, that I've thought this morning. I give my life to you as you gave your life to me, for me. 
I confess you as Lord and Savior. And then we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to, to baptize us. To say, dear Jesus, would you baptize me with the Holy Spirit this morning in Jesus' name. If you pray that, I want you to raise your hands or raise your hands high. That's a sign. It's just an outward sign of what is happening internally. See, dear Jesus, thank you for blessing me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for, for baptizing me with the Holy Spirit. If you pray that, I want you just to thank him in your own words. You don't have to use any words that I've said, but thank him for what you're feeling on the inside, what, what you know is true. God, thank you for taking me out of, my, out of my sins, out of my darkness, God, and putting me on a, on a path that is full of light, that is full of righteousness, that is full of peace and joy. Thank you, God, for redeeming me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for filling me with the Holy Spirit. I just want to challenge you to raise your hands a little higher. I want to challenge you to raise your voice a little louder. I know it may be a little uncomfortable, but there is freedom at the end of that thanksgiving. There's freedom at the end of praise. Jesus, we just thank you, God, for what you're doing. We know you have a plan. We trust your way. Trust your timing. You have proven yourself faithful time and time again, and you will do it again. You will do it again. You will do it again, God. You will do it again. We trust you that you are good, that you are always faithful. You are always faithful. And now, if you raised your hand earlier, and even if you didn't, and you want to come front and lay down and surrender those expectations so that you can run the race passionately that God has for you, I invite you to come down to the front. Again, there's nothing, there's nothing supernatural about this, but this is simply a response to what the Holy Spirit is asking. It's an outward expression of what's going on. In a way, this is, this is kind of like confession to the Lord. We're saying out loud. We're, and so when you're walking up before, you're saying with your body, with your whole being, God, I'm surrendering my expectation to you, even though I don't understand, even though my feelings are deceiving me in this moment. God, I believe that you have a plan, and it is good, and it's perfect. Father, we just thank you. We just thank you. If you walk to the front, I, want you just to, I just want you to surrender that expectation to the Lord. Just say, dear Jesus, I surrender, and I want you to say it out loud. Whatever it is, you, you need to give it to him. I surrender. My expectations for X, Y, Z, whatever it is. Just say it to him and say, God, give me your expectations. How should, I, how should I expect to walk in this season in my life? Jesus, we look to you. We look to you in this moment. We're just going to take a minute. This is, this is what the service is about. We talked about expectation. We talked about what the Lord is doing. This is the moment where the Lord is going to take that expectation off your shoulders and give you his expectations for your life. Just take a minute to, dear Jesus, what do you want to say to me? Thank him and also listen for what he is saying to your spirit in this moment. There's someone out there, you are fighting the Lord right now. I just felt it. You're fighting the Lord and you're saying, I don't want to let go of my expectations. I just simply don't want to let go. I, I, there, there may be a few people in here. You're saying, I don't want to let go. This is comfortable. I feel good. I have, I have no reason to let go. The Lord is saying, come. He's saying, come. I love you. But he's saying, that won't turn out the way you're expecting it to turn out. He's saying, that situation, that thing you're not 
surrendering, it will not turn out the way you're expecting it to turn out. And this is the day the Lord is warning. It's a warning. You'll be able to look back one day and say, the Lord told me, Sunday morning, May 5th, to surrender. Father, I pray that you would just give us the grace. I know that's a hard word, but this is, I believe the Lord is speaking to a few people. And he's saying, I'm giving you an opportunity. When I look back in my life and the, and the places I made mistakes, the Lord pinpointed specific moments where he spoke to me and said, I told you. I gave you a chance. You didn't have to go through that pain. You didn't have to go through that disappointment. You didn't have to. It's okay. You're okay now. But I want to spare you from the pain of your own choices. So, Father, right now, God, I just lift up every person here, even those who are struggling to surrender their expectations, Father. I pray that you give them the grace to give it to you and say, God, I will trust you. I don't want to. My flesh doesn't want to, but my spirit wants to. My soul wants to lean on you and your ability and your time, not lean on what the flesh is saying. Amen, Lord. Father, we just.